my first Comic Con, I went with the goal to become a famous comic book creator. I realized right. while I was at my first Comic-Con that I sucked. And I also realized that I had all these great people around to critique my work. So I, it changed like halfway through, like two days in. I stopped standing in lines to show my portfolio to big companies. Yeah. And I started walking around to artists at booths and saying, can you tell me why my work sucks? Today on Timeboxing, I interview award-winning illustrator and comic artist Ethan Nicole. He is the creator of the webcomics Bearmageddon and Axe Cop, the latter of which is also an animated series on Fox. Hi, this is a podcast about balancing creativity, productivity, and sanity. I'm Carl Sandrell, a composer and music producer in Little Armenia, East Hollywood, California. I think the police are outside. It's been a good month, or technically five weeks. I still haven't managed to get this on a monthly schedule, but <laughs> I've been keeping busy mostly on things that aren't released yet. But just for you, here's a preview of what I've been working on most recently. Anyway, it's late at night, and I'm supposed to post this tomorrow, so let's keep this moving. Look at this. Cutie and the Boxer is a documentary about two married artists. 80-year-old Shinohara, who is most well-known for his boxing paintings, made by literally punching the canvas, and his 59-year-old wife, Nariko. I, when I listened back to that, I just realized that sounds really weird. Uh, the boxing paintings did not involve punching Nariko. It focuses on their 40-year marriage, which has been pretty chaotic. For one, Shinohara is pretty flawed as a husband and father, but also it's just very hard for two artists to be married to one another. <laughs> At one point, Nariko likens it to two flowers growing from the same pot. Sometimes there aren't enough nutrients for the both of them. The film is beautifully crafted and painfully honest. I don't think I've yet seen something capture a relationship better than this, partially because we get to see Noriko dealing with her joys and frustrations through her art. I can't recommend this highly enough, especially if you're in the arts. Again, Cutie and the Boxer. Check the show notes for a trailer and Netflix link. My first contact with Ethan Nicole was as a fan of Axe Cop, a webcomic he began making in late 2009 with his then five-year-old brother, Malachi. It chronicles the adventures of a cop with an axe. It's hilarious and ridiculously epic. Basically, Malachi comes up with a story and Ethan turns it into comics. Ethan was 29 at the time and already an Eisner Award-nominated comic artist. It's one of my favorite things ever because it so purely captures the imagination of a child through art. The illustration is finely crafted, but always in service of Malachi's insane vision. I emailed Ethan to tell him how much I loved it and let him know I'd love to collaborate sometime. It just so happened that he was working with voiceover artists and animators from as far as Australia to create an Axe Cop motion comic, which I then had the pleasure of creating music and sound design for. 
Here's a taste. Axe cop and avocado soldier decided they'd better go to telescope gun cop's lab, so they found a map in their file of maps to bad guy labs. They found the lab, and they threw a whole bunch of avocado and lemon grenades at telescope gun cop and Unibaby. Telescope gun cop and Unibaby were destroyed. But when they got back, all the fruit had been stolen by all of the bad guys. There we go. If you're curious, there's a link to those original motion comics in the show notes. X-Cop is now a full-blown TV show on Fox, voiced by people like Nick Offerman and Ken Marino. Ethan also creates a webcomic called Bearmageddon, which he himself writes, about bears, manliness, and the end of the world. We met up for dinner in a Rift Track screening in Burbank. I began at the restaurant by asking Ethan about his early experiences with art and what influenced him. Yeah, I know that I took to drawing really fast. I don't even remember starting, but I don't. I know that my mom's story she tells is that my grandfather. This sounds like a story from like the 20s or something, but <laughs> my grandfather gave me a small chalkboard, and my mom said that she would put my hand on hers and I'd draw a circle or something. And she said very quickly, when she showed me to like you know do a circle and two triangles, that's like a cat head. Mm-hmm. Immediately, I was trying to draw my own stuff and drawing better than her really fast. And the preschool teacher called up. I was three years old and said I was drawing at an eight-year-old level, like I was drawing details and things that kids normally that age wouldn't think to draw you know like the fingers and the hair and like all the kind of stuff that and I I don't know why I I just I can't take credit for it I just always loved doing it and I just always really wanted to do it a lot and then yeah there's inspirations growing up cartoons were always very inspiring I liked telling stories of my art so cartoons then comics Sunday comics first off you know Calvin and Hobbes Farside were huge influences. Garfield, I mean, your elementary school Garfield's hilarious. And then Ninja Turtles were like my gateway into comics. Right, right. I remember Ninja Turtles being the center of my world for a while. <laughs> yep. <laughs> for like a decade. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, in Iowa, I lived at the bottom of a hill. And on top of the hill, our neighbors could get Fox, but we couldn't because we were at the <laughs> bottom. It was so frustrating. It's funny. Yeah, I remember taking two-mile walks to 7-Eleven to get the new Ninja Turtle comic when it came out. Wow. And I'd play the Ninja Turtle, Turtles in Time arcade game when I get there. And... Oh, yeah. I think when you have, like, a, an outstanding talent and you live in a really small town you're in a poor family. I don't know if I'd call it a pressure, but there was always an expectation or just an accepted thing that like I was going to grow up and become a big artist. I, I guess in some senses it is like a pressure. Your whole family's like, oh, you're going to make us all rich someday. Or <laughs> the town's like, oh, you're going to put us on the map someday. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they understand how art works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's either like find a real job or it's like you're going to be rich someday. And the funny thing is it's true in the arts. You're either starving or you're doing really well. In general, it's really hard to find the middle ground. There's a massive difference between loving an art form and making a career out of it. Mm -hmm. How... (laughs) This one hurts to ask a little. How is that adjustment for you, just going into trying to pursue it as a freelancer? Well, I was in a rock band, and this was way before Axe Cop. It happened by necessity. I was working in a sign shop which is the closest thing to an art job I could get. Vinyl lettering and signs in Portland, Oregon. And we were trying to record an album in Coos Bay, my hometown, which is a small town in Oregon. 
It was like a huge undertaking of an album. It was like 16 songs. We were always doing a ton of tracks, layering vocals, and these songs were really complicated, trying to like really outdo ourselves, and it became such a project. Basically, I was paying rent for my apartment in Portland, but I lived with my mom in Coos Bay for six months that we were working on the album, and I just couldn't keep a job because I was going to Portland on the weekends to play shows, coming back down to Coos Bay. So I started just looking for work on the internet. I got low-pay caricature jobs, drawing, do a logo for somebody, pretend like I know how to make logos, you know. My first year that I totally supported myself as a freelance artist, I think I made 10 grand. Wow. So yeah, was, and that's that's how it goes, though. I yeah, and I was excited. I was like, well, I'm, I did that all myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never had a boss. <laughs> What do you feel has kept you in it over the years? Like, what compels you to create things now as opposed to when you started? It's kind of funny. My faith is a big part of my life. I actually went through this period where I felt that it wasn't really Christian to create artwork. I had always had this dream of becoming an animator, and I never had access to animation equipment. I've never met a real animator. You know, it's something that I'd always been interested in. One day I was at the gym, and I had kind of just not drawn for like two years. Like, I'm going to do something more holy than drawing. Wow. And uh, I happened to start talking to this guy, and I'd heard about him around town. And he used to work under Milk Call, who's one of the big nine, nine old men animators from Disney. Wow. And he has a studio in my small town. And I got really curious. I'll come over and check it out. you know. And so I came over, and he said, hey, I have a commercial I really need to do. And he'd seen just, I had flip books I'd done. And he said, I'll pay you to do this commercial. And when I got there, he actually had this guy who was there who was sitting at a drawing table. And he, he went in there for eight hours a day. He was 10 years older than me. He wanted to be an animator, and he wanted to be able to draw so bad. He was a devout atheist. So we went in there, and, and at one point he goes, uh, if you want art to be your life, it has to be the center of your life. And I'm like, well, my faith is the center of my life. And he actually was so shocked and flabbergasted that, like, I went in there and I animated a commercial, and I never had any real training. Yeah. I just had this talent for it. You know, I was able to animate this character talking. And he's like, I spend eight hours a day in here. I would give anything for the talent that you have. And you're telling me that you, like, want to represent your God by <laughs> having all this talent and totally wasting it? That's your ministry <laughs> to the world? Right, right. And it really, like, kind of shocked me. Like, I don't know why I had never thought of it that way. But somewhere in there, like, I started going, you know, it is really generic to think that faith is just all about preaching to everybody. So, like, it really hit me that uh, I'm an artist. I was born an artist, and I don't know how not to be one. So it kind of became... I don't need to become famous. It doesn't even need my job. I got to do it, and I got to do it well. And that's, like, an important part of who I am. Yeah, I certainly know what you mean. To be an artist or a musician or whatever can be considered a very indulgent thing because mm -hmm. you spend so much time focused on yourself and getting better. But, you know, the other side of that is you are making other people happy through your art. You're communicating emotions and helping them deal with things that they've experienced in their life. So. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you made that decision. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I think it's been a fascinating journey for me. So you've mentioned before that Doug Tenapel, the awesome animator, illustrator who created Earthworm Jim and other projects, has been a mentor to you over the years. Mm -hmm. Have there been any particularly useful lessons or ideas from him or others that have helped you as an artist? Probably the biggest thing that he did for me was he always derailed me from going down rabbit trails that paid the bills 
yeah. but would have been a, a big waste of time. Like, I'd get a job drawing some awful comic for some horrible toy or something. Right. And, you know, they'd pay me, like, some horribly cheap price, but I'd be able to live off of it, and I'd be drawing comics for however long, but I would not have anything really I was happy to show off. So he always encouraged me to, if you want to do what I do, and if you want to be the guy that makes the stuff that other people draw or other people write, or if you want to be the guy that makes up the idea, like, you got to do it and not make any money out of it. You just have to build it yourself. Build it yourself and keep doing it. And don't think the world owes you anything. I think that on the topic of what you said about how art can be really self-indulgent, and I think that a lot of artists are not only self-indulgent, but they just have a sense that society owes them something for being an artist. Yes. It's just an attitude I can't stand, and that's one that Doug really whipped out of me, was just don't don't have that attitude. Nobody owes you a thing. You know, if you want people to enjoy your art, then be considerate of them and don't sit there and try to say, I'm just going to fart on paper and you better appreciate it because I'm an artist and you owe it to me. What you were saying about dead-end paths, I feel like it's so easy to get caught up in somebody else's thing. I mean, in music, for example, commercials are a really good way to make money, jingles or whatnot. And I certainly don't judge anyone for doing that kind of work. And I do commercial work myself now and then. But I've been kind of scared of committing to it because I I see the people who are really good at it. You know, they're making a living off of it, Mm -hmm. a great living. But they don't have time for anything else, anything that's truly fulfilling their inner creative desire, you know. Yeah. I think you just got to choose. I used to hang out with a lot of caricature artists, and that was always their complaint. They could get so much work doing it and it paid so well that they never followed any of their dreams. And I think, I don't like the black or white, like, well, you know, then don't follow your dreams, get a career. But, like, right now I'm writing VeggieTales. It's, like, a nonstop, really crazy job. I've had to put the Axe Cop comic on hold for a while. I just can't yeah. do it all. But I'm still setting aside enough time to do a page of Bermageddon every week. It's my passion project that I just love to do. And... Which I love, by the way, and we're going to talk about in a minute. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so you strike me as being very disciplined it seems like you've really put in effort developing your craft and it seems to me the hope for any artist is one to have something unique and meaningful to say but also the skills to say it to get it across have there been certain approaches you take to hone your skills over time continuously despite whatever external circumstances are going on well, there was a big issue once I got out of high school. I, I had a full-ride scholarship at my local community college for the art program, but I hated it, so I quit it. And I always had this guilt that I wasn't doing art school, but I, did, I really didn't want to go into debt for art school. I grew up in a very poor family. Yeah. There's no way my parents could send me to college, and it was terrifying enough for me to go into debt for my cheap $2,000 car. Like For me to go into debt for the amount of money art school is, to make that much money back on art is, like, insane. <laughs> yeah. I realized when I started going to comic conventions that I could get really easy access to really good artists and they would critique my art and give me pointers and they'd give you your email address. And That's awesome. And that's how I met Doug Tmaple. Like you just, <laughs> I, my first Comic-Con, I went with the goal to become a famous comic book creator. 
I realized right. while I was at my first Comic-Con that I sucked. And I also realized that I had all these great people around to critique my work. So I, it changed like halfway through, like two days in. I stopped standing in lines to show my portfolio to big companies. Yeah. And I started walking around to artists at booths and saying, can you tell me why my work sucks? Ah, that's such, such a good approach. <laughs> and the next thing I did is I went to a writing panel, stood up during the Q&A and said... If anybody here has written a really good book and needs, needs an artist, I went to practice drawing. I got bombarded by people, and I found this guy who's like a works at a video game company, had a bunch of money, and he could publish the comics. And uh -huh. So it was just like good practice for me. I started drawing his scripts, and that's kind of a way that I started getting better and getting critiqued. And they're comics no one will ever see or read, but it was like yeah. my version of college, I guess. Totally. <laughs> at this point, our food showed up, so we ate and then headed over to the movie theater to reserve some seats. It was pretty noisy in there. I'm playing this backwards since we don't have the music rights, but the hallway was fortunately much quieter after this guy stopped rattling a metal cart around. Let's wait for this. It's like meant to happen. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge fan of Axe Cop. It's just astonishing to me that something like this exists that seamlessly marries mature artistic skill and the raw imagination of a kid. I asked Ethan if his approach to creative work has been influenced by Malachi, who was five years old when they started making it. Yeah, I think so. Two ways. One is to not get so hung up on trying to get it right. If you're having fun doing it, it'll come out in your work. It's infectious, you know? Right. And also, having created something that is so accessible to little kids and their parents at the same time, mm -hmm. especially like sons and their fathers, this is like way more rewarding to be sitting in my booth at a comic convention and have a father and a son come up mm -hmm. and be super excited to meet me and like say, we read your work, we love your comics, rather than a dude who's been like living in his parents' basement <laughs> and has collected all my books and has probably lost chances at happiness because he collects my books, <laughs> you know, rather than people who are like genuinely, it's enriching their life, you know, so like, because I think there's that guilt when you're a comic book creator, like you feel bad that you're, there's some guys that you're like, man, there's a better life out there than being a comic book collector. <laughs> That's one reason it's such a rare thing. I yeah, think. and it's so exciting. It's, it's just really exciting to have a father and a son come up to your table and love what you made. And they both genuinely love it for two different reasons. So one thing I'm a little paranoid about is forgetting that art <coughs> at its core is play, but just filtered mm -hmm. through craft. And I feel like, you know, when you work with Malachi, you're literally playing to mm -hmm. come up with something. <laughs> On some level, has that helped reaffirm the fun of illustrating for you like while yeah. you're making it? Totally. The challenge of just trying to draw whatever he says is it's so fun. And there's times where it's really hard, but it's fun at the same time. You know, like those aren't mutually exclusive. So I had a dream a couple weeks ago where I was at a gig and bears showed up and literally began eating the faces of other trumpet players. <laughs> This is almost certainly inspired by your online graphic novel, Bear-mageddon, which is about bears' manliness and the end of the world. <laughs> but yeah, the trumpet players do that thing where they put their hands up to try to look tall, and the bears just pulverize them. <laughs> I'll have to steal that. But I spent like 20 minutes Googling how, what to do with a bear attacks that morning. <laughs> I've had a lot of people tell me that they got bear attack dreams after they read Bear-mageddon. So I wanted to ask you about finding and engaging your audience. Because under each panel, you have a blog post, mm -hmm. which is kind of personal and honest, and people can comment below. That's 
a unique advantage of being able to create things today. So how has that experience been for you? Well, I was drawn to it when I was trying to get into sharing my work. You know, I come out of the age of black and white indie comics. I wanted to become a part of that world. By the time I was making my own indie comics, I came to realize that the new the new place to find new comics was the internet, was web comics. Because people just weren't walking into stores and trying new comics out anymore. I liked how it would drive you to keep going because you would be getting comments and, and critiques on your work every time you post a new page. It used to be if you draw a graphic novel, you sit in your room and work on it until it's done. Yeah. And you have no idea what the reaction is going to be. Some people have, don't don't like the reactions. People turn their comments off, but I love the feedback. Mm-hmm. I've always been impressed by the respect people have on my websites on AxCop and on Armageddon. I think we only had like one person who one troll I had to block on AxCop. I like that, and I like the you know Armageddon. I think if I just released it as a book and no one knew about it. I don't think it would have generated the audience that it has now. Mm-hmm. And that was my goal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, these people are, in your posts, you explain, uh, I've been working on the Axe Cop TV show, or I've been writing on this other thing. Like, mm-hmm. And they seem to be very understanding that you're going through all this, because you're being very honest with them. Yeah. They're kind of following my life. <laughs> it's <laughs> weird. <laughs> As of this recording, Ethan is excited to be releasing Barmageddon Weekly again. Back to doing it weekly, hopefully, as long as I can keep up. Well, we all appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We're close to the end of Volume 1. Once they get out of the house, this whole scene that's going on in Joel's house, that's going to be the end of Book 1. I'm going to try to make a book out of it. The whole story I have in my head in a very messy script would be three books. So you're now a married man and raising two kids. Indeed. How has that changed your relationship to creative work and how you work? I don't think it's gotten in the way. If anything, it's made me work harder. Having a family to provide for really drives you to <laughs> never slow down. You live in a much more inspiring environment when you're the family rather than if you're just living alone watching Netflix all day. It's just fascinating when you have kids. You're watching them discover something for the first time mm-hmm. that you've taken for granted your whole life. It was just 4th of July and our kids had never seen a fireworks show. Wow. Like To see them both for the first time ever see fireworks going off in the sky... It's so cool to experience that with somebody. Mm-hmm. Having those kind of experiences on a regular basis, like you're suddenly you're introducing your kid to the idea of why lying is bad or you know why you should make this choice rather than that choice. You start thinking about life way harder in different ways that you never would be thinking about it if you were just single. And, you know. There's so many more stakes involved yeah. with people. You're shaping personalities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it affects your work because you're thinking about it all the time. What is the best way for people to keep up with your work? I guess bearmageddon.com, axcop.com, those are the best two places. I have Twitters for both, axcop, bearmageddon, and I also have an E. Nicole Twitter, it's my name, the first letter of my name and last name. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy with uh, all the projects and family now, so this is a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And that's Ethan Nicole, a talented artist and just a very genuine person. I'll, of course, have links to his great work in the show notes. Wow, so we made it all the way to episode five. Thanks, as always, for listening. I really appreciate it. You'll find more on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. If you do like the show and want to help more people find it, consider sharing it or leaving a star rating in iTunes. Or if you really want to help... The best way is to write a little review 
or you can just click like on an existing review that you agree with. I'd love to hear any questions, comments as well. You can reach me on Twitter at Sondrol, that's S-O-N-D-R-O-L, or just look on timeboxingpod.com. That's also the place to hear more of my film music or music music. Speaking of, the awesome session musicians I use this time include Angeline Gorgasson and Hawk Coleman on vocals, Brittany Seitz on bassoon, Heather McIntosh and Joe Mendoz on cello, Eleanor Wiegert on bass clarinet, Max Crow on guitar, Anthony Bruno on saxophones, Andrew Zelm on trombone, Gerald Bailey on trumpet, Ben Weber and Cheryl Kim on violins, and Bob Sauer was the Axe Cobb motion comic narrator. Next time I'll be speaking with filmmaker Will Slocum. It's 4.15 a.m. right now. I'm going to go die. Oh, you're going to make us all rich someday. Oh, you're going to put us on the map someday.